good evening. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. We have Angry Anderson. We have to do records that matter. These are some great records that uh, Angry has listened to and brought up that he likes. Um, um, I've got top of the list. I, I suppose I started um, uh, with, with, I suppose, what I consider to be not only very influential on myself, but just influential per se with music. I mean, so the top of the list is Shards of Peppers. Now, which is very interesting because I've got a little, a little arrow to one side and there's John Wesley Harding and Blonde on Blonde in, in brackets. I don't know what's that got, if the thought pattern. I think it might have been an afterthought because there's no relationship to, to um, uh, Sergeant Peppers, apart from the fact that the Beatles were huge Bob Dylan fans. And um, then I've got, Goat's Head Soup and Exile. I think Goat's Head Soup for me. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the earliest impressions for me is when I took it home and put it on. And I had by that stage, I had a fairly good stereo setup. Was how sonically superior I thought it was uh, to previous albums. I think like well, twelve by five is like most people's albums in those days. Very. Not so much echoey, but roomy. Had that wonderful sort of, uh, you know, um, rehearsal studio sort of quality about oh, it. You know? feel. And um, yeah, and I just thought the goat's head soup to me was like, wow, the sounds were just so rich and and. But then, I, and then I've got goat's head soup exile, and I think the uh, when I um, listen to exile now, which I still do. I think the thing that strikes me about Exile, um, thinking about it, apart from, the, you know, there's a, a fantastic array of, of, of songs, you know, like there's, right. there's, this, there's a wonderful um, smorgasbord, if you like, of, of all the things that the Stones do really well uh, are on that. And, and plus the fact, you know, it was one of the few double albums that I think that, that stood up, I think, for physical graffiti, which I don't think is actually, um, I don't know why it's not here, but um, it's, <laughs> I'm quickly looking down because, again, one of my favourite albums. But um, I think with Exile, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's a wonderful acknowledgement to their roots and probably their best manifestation of their acknowledgement of American blues music. That without it, of course, there'd be no Rolling Stones. But the other thing that I realised listening to it in recent years, it's probably the best thing that they've done since Brian. Yeah. Um, the the inspiration song ways, you know, like things like Satisfaction and um, I, I don't know, you know, Jumping Jack Flash. It's not, some of my the world's favourite right. Stones songs, those early when they first started to write their original stuff, it was largely Brian Jones with the ideas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. but, um, and, and, and they are still the magic riffs uh, for, for if you're a Stones fan. When, um, and I think that's, that's why, because I, I have to say as a Stones fan, um, when they when they turned around and said, "Well, we're, we're replaced," you know, not that they replaced Brian Jones, but 
there's there's a chair at the table that's empty. Um, and, and this young, very pretty Mick Taylor is chosen as well, even back then I thought, well, fuck, you know, there's Ronnie Wood, there's a bunch of, you know, Jeff Beck even. There's a bunch of players that like would probably suit the Stones. But you know, who was Mick Taylor? He was like a, a very young Muso's Muso, a bit like a young Peter Frampton. I mean, Frampton goes on to produce something as amazingly accessible as um, his solo stuff, and he starts yeah. out as playing second guitar to Steve Marriott in in Humble Pie. I mean, for fuck's sake! I mean, that's a way to get a bloody, you know, like throw this pretty boy who is. Um, it turns out that his original band was a band called The Herd. A terrible name for a band, but they were like a glam teenage sort of glam pop band. Oh, really? Sort of with, yeah, it was a sort of bluesy sort of like a lot of bands did coming out of England in that time, but they were sort of like a very, yeah, they were they, they were too pretty for words, you know, all hair and, and good looks and like very, very sort of, um, yeah, but anyway, um, and then all of a sudden he pops up as second guitar player to arguably one of the toughest guitar players in the world and certainly one of the toughest singers that we've ever seen, Steve Marriott, mm-hmm. and with this amazing rhythm section. And then you've got this pretty boy lightweight on the other side of the stage and say, right, I sport, hold up your end of the bargain, you know, and, and he did to his credit. So same with uh, Mick Taylor. I thought it was some of the stuff that they produced with Mick Taylor in the band. As I said, you know, uh, Goatshead and Exile were, were extraordinarily, to me, you know, um, I, I, I suppose I could have uh, listened to more of what they produced in the ensuing years and maybe I've just been a little bit too dismissive. But um, Do you think on that subject, you being in your own bands and over the years from band members, have you had a member come in with a public announcer that goes, what? But you know that person has that talent, the drive in them to help work with them, and that fits the puzzle, even though no one else knows, but you know. Like those bands did when they brought those guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like, what is, what is the angry thinking? You know what I mean? And it's real. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm thinking because you're not part of the this. this it's not just... The breathing five person, ten arm living creature is more than one of its parts. That that cog has got to work, otherwise you, the machine crashes, you know. Yeah, and, I think I think one of the yes, um, I agree totally. And I I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit more comfortable these days with well, apart from the fact that I'm the only surviving member from the from the first lineup, well the first two right. lineups, but the in the first two lineups, there was only you know one change, which was Rylands was the bass player. Originally. There will be a nuclear war, and the only survivor will be Angry Anderson. It'll be Keith and I. We'll do a duo. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable with uh, the role uh, and the contribution that I that I've made, and um, so I'm a bit more comfortable about that. Um, 
One of the things that I think, um, getting back to the um, what was I thinking, that came up a couple of times in recent times doing interviews, particularly with England and and Europe, um, about, you know, the re-emergence, well, the the, the emergence of my new band, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. One one, um, uh, bloke from uh, America said to me, wow, apart from yourself, uh, this is like come out of left field. This doesn't sound like you at all. I said, well, it sounds just like me, you know, voice-wise. I was just being, you know, a little bit, um, I said, well, yeah, it sounds just like me. That is me, you know. Like, and he said, and he said, well, no, the music sort of side of it. I said, well, yeah, I said, um, because it didn't really, what I'm about to say, didn't resonate as strongly in America, anywhere near as strongly as it did through Europe. I said, this is this is a person who's, Biggest hit is a song called Suddenly. Suddenly, just the way I am. This sounds more like you than Suddenly sounds like you. Yeah, well, he didn't get it because um, he wasn't familiar with the history of Suddenly. But um, uh, And then I realised that that's not a great uh, comparison or analogy, which is an appropriate word. But If they know your music, if they're talking to you, they should know a few. It's pretty easy to... Hit a he couple hot points on that. Yeah, he was young and very energetic, very enthusiastic as a as a fan. He said, "Oh, you know, I've got to say that I discovered Rose Tattoo through my father's and mother's record collection." And um, but we were talking about the AA band, but yeah, I just I you know, it's like um, it, it, all the negativity that was around the release of Suddenly that I was supposed to feel or suffer from, like. What were you thinking? I said, well, I wasn't thinking of any. I mean, I was thinking about writing music. I mean, right. the producer said, uh, it was an American producer who produced that album, and he said, we just need a couple of songs for, for the women, for the ladies. And I said, well, we've never, I've never, you know, not written about the sisters. I mean, but in tats I don't, but because it's a boys' band. But, like, there's a track on that same album which was written, uh, I read the book of Winnie Mandela. And uh, so I wrote it from her point of view. And I think it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful, um, I was listening to that, actually, I was listening to that album tonight on my way home from work. Get away. See? I have a playlist of different, I have a Rose Tattoo playlist, I have, I have your new singles, and I have, a, I have a playlist of all different types of music and, like, well, yeah. again, this person was not aware of that album. But that album is is probably your most left turn in, in, in a good way because it shows a different vocal range for you and a different style sort of yeah. than the Taz. Yeah. Mm. You know, and this actually is more of a in-between, even more of a 70s feel, this new album. As we were talking about previous, this is really an earthy, rootsy, well-produced rock. Yeah, funk. <laughs> oh, just got great. there's great in your voice to it you know what I mean whereas the other part it's a different different range in your voice but but so that's that's the whole point I'm saying with these other things it's like you don't know and that's why to me as an outsider I kind of I'm like you always have your favorite parts but they, you don't know what's going on with on Mick or you know Mick Taylor or you know they, maybe they, you know maybe it's like you know what you're not gonna be the only Mick in the band we're gonna just lighten you sound <laughs> You know? Yeah, well, that, that's, I think one of the one of the attractions, and I don't want to get too far away from the list because now that I look at it, now that I look about it, look at it, um, 
there's some there's some interesting the reason I picked these albums, even though there's more than ten, <laughs> quite predictably, uh, is just because of that. You know, like it's like I've got straight under exile. Like as I've just said, I think I think they really they they came back to being um, very original and a, and a, and a, um, innovative as far as. If they, you know, supposedly they never recorded another album after that. That's just so, to me, when I want to hear the Stones, I go back to the early stuff. And that's just typical of someone my age and, and well, the era. But, but it doesn't the, say that what the they produced in recent times isn't musically valuable. I mean, there's a song here and a song there. Um, and they're not usually the singles. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been to a Stones concert and I've seen the reaction of Start Me Up. But I just think, you know, really, compared to Sympathy for the Devil or, you know, like Gimme Shelter, one of the greatest rock mm-hmm. songs, um, I think, um, just extraordinary as a song, you know, like... Um, Anyway, um, anyway, we, moving on. I don't know if you want to move on this quickly, but right under that, of course, I've got uh, your experience, which was um, just, uh, you know, I think we talked about this. The first time I heard Jimi Hendrix was on the radio, but it was coming out of England because he was living in England. And I think I told you the story, didn't I? Um, when I went and saw Eric Burden and the Animals, and he came, they came out to play uh, a three-song encore. He said, "We're going to play a tune now." Um, I don't think it was the Animals. I think it was Eric Burden Band. Um, more to the point, I think. And um, he said, "We're going to play a song from a bloke who's just who's." You know, living in in um, England now, and we're we're all hanging around together, and we're drinking, and we're playing music together. And he said, "This is his new single. We want to play it." And they played "Hey Joe," and Eric did say that it was a you know a, a tune that that Hendrix covered. But he said, um, uh, you, "You'll come to know this guy because he's an extraordinary guitar player and a, and a great singer." but we're going to play this song fit for you. And they played Hey Joe. And they played it really, really. And I fell in love with the song. I thought, fuck me, what a beautiful song. And um, great song. You know, it's mm-hmm. beautiful, but it's, great. it's just so powerful. You know, like I went down to shoot my old lady, you know, back. Yeah, baby. You know, but uh, not, not. It's, you know, very, I mean, it's a very emotive song too. There's a lot of. Oh, it's just tough. To just it's kind of go, tough as yeah, it's tough as all fuck, you know. I mean, that was the first time I'd heard anyone sing such a blatant lyric. I caught a messing around. I caught a messing around with another guy. Shut the up. Blues. I put it the down. Blues. You go, fuck a what? You did what? I mean, you know, like, no one, no one had said that in a song before, you know. What are you doing with that gun in your hand? What? You think about the era. No one, had, no one had said anything lyrically like that. And the song had been written years and years before, you know, and, and, and the, the, those black people that we were talking about, about my earliest influences, they were singing songs about, but they weren't quite that blatant. I mean, yes, they talked about, you know, 
I remember one song, I can't remember except, but he was talking about um, it, it cut, cut some guy up with a razor or a, or a knife, but I think it was a razor. I think he mentions razor. Great word, you know, razor, you know. And I thought, you know, that's that's pretty sort of heavy duty. But it was a you know, in the context of a a blues singer sitting on a stool. Well, I think a lot of the blues songs had a lot more grit in them that were ah, commercial. They had their own under, underground um, following, so they were a lot yeah. more uncensored. Yeah. So are you experienced that collection of songs? It just, to me, I was so moved by... What's your favorite song on it? Oh. Don't overthink it. When Christ Mary. Good one. I, I say fire is mine. Oh, yeah, but yes. It's so manic. It gets so manic. Oh, it's just, I, it's get, so I get all that. I get all that. I was about to say the, the opening... The opening notes of Hey Joe, the first time I heard Hendrix's version, mm-hmm. was sometime after Burden had introduced it at this concert in Melbourne, live concert. And then I heard it. He said, it's going to be played now. It's coming out as a single. Like, you know, So glued to the radio for weeks and all of a sudden, this is the new, this is by a new band called the Jimi Hendrix Experience and here it goes. You know, it's a bit like because you know, DJ spoke like that. And I just heard the opening notes and I just went, I hadn't even heard his voice yet. And, and, and I, I was practically, if not reduced to tears, I just thought, my godfather. And it was kind of like, even though that you weren't waiting for this, because there was no waiting for something you'd never experienced before. I experienced classic name for an album. But that I'd never heard a guitar like that before. His tone, he right out of the gate, he had a great tone. Unbelievable. And, and just to hear those opening notes, and then you're like, hey, Joe. And I'm just like, oh, thank God. You know, I mean, thank God. Like, yes. It's, I mean, I realised that there was this whole other area to, to music, which... None of us have been experienced. And so that so are you experienced? I mean, it's such a beautiful and, and to, to to have followed him so passionately. Um it's really and, like a greatest hits album, Foxy Lady, Manic Depression, classic Red House, you know. It uh, opened my yeah. doors. Um, it, the reason I love uh, Wind Cries Mary, and I just plucked that because when when Hendrix played Foxy Lady, mm-hmm. That that was that was like that's that end that's extreme, you know. It was like that's as loud, that's as big, that's as butch as you want to go, right? That was just right. a. And then you know he he plays these like in, in some of the softer stuff, and the wind whispers, Mary. It's 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 the way he delivers the words, but it's it's the guitar is just the most gentle, ethereal. It's just you go. Uh, I've been waiting for a guitar to take me there. You know what I mean? Without knowing that there was that that there there that there existed to go there, but when he took you there, you realised yes. 
like and and right under that, I've got Dark Side of the Moon, and that's the two are almost for me because I think I think Gilmore is one of the one of the greatest exponents of of it's it's, it's a person and and a Telecaster. Mm-hmm. And yes, I know that he's used other guitars. Right, but that's his thing. But he, he, as Hendrix did, he showed up until then the Telecaster was the shadows, was, uh, you know, the, the surf music was sort of the toughest thing that that yeah. we'd heard, you know. Rockabilly <laughs> type of feeling, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it, you just think, okay, it's Stratocaster, beautiful instrument. But Hendrix took it, he said, no, no, there's more to this. I can get I can get the dragon to come out of this this fucking beautiful looking because I mean it's aesthetically beautiful Fender Stratocaster yeah. I'd say and um so yeah I mean and, and the same with Gilmore I don't think there's anybody I mean there's there's some really significant guitar players like Richie Blackmore I mean Hendrix the top of the list uh, Gilmore and a few others. Um, I remember years ago being on on tour in in America, and we did a a show uh, with uh, Robin Trower. Oh, nice! And he was playing a um, a powder blue Stratocaster, and he was fucking amazing. I mean, he was that the couple of nights that I watched him play, I was I was awestruck by how beautiful he plays. Is he still around? Yeah, he's the time. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so that's what's interesting. So, like, a real question is: so Hendrix and actually Dark Side of the Moon albums are in the same time, but Hendrix died young, and he blasted out. But the question is, and this people can argue about. It, I don't really care. Do you <laughs> think he would have maintained? Yeah, I know the, <laughs> the the level of who he was. Would he have continued on, or would he? Look, look, look how Jeff Beck came out. You know, everything you know, blow by blow. No one could touch Jeff Beck for a while. Now he still plays, and he's the artist's artist. Yeah, but he's not yeah. selling out places. He's not the same person to the world because he's still alive. When you die, it changes. Also, in your you know, oh, absolutely. What would have yeah. happened? Because some of the Hendrix outtakes, some of the extra albums they've done up, they're fine, but it's not the same. Now, was that the songs he was going to do? Is it fair to take a, a musician's unfinished work that they were like, you know what? I don't want to put it out because this is not where I'm at. So you don't really know where he was going to go. What would have happened? Would he have continued on and been like an Eddie Van Halen? Like continually be at the, the, in the public eye, loved? Or would he have kind of been more I, of a cult player? Uh, it's a romantic view, <laughs> which we're both prone exactly. to. Um, I, I think he would have waxed and waned. I think that, you know, for a few years he would just, like, play clubs and or possibly clubs because I think he's a player. I mean, I believe in my heart that he was a classic player, right, so he would he mm. would always be playing. I think every now and again he possibly, because we'll never know, this is all speculation, every now and again he would do something that would just, like, people would go fucking. I don't think he ever would have wandered too far away from his roots. And I think so. No, I don't either. I, I think he always would have been a blues R&B sort of player. Um, and when I've said R&B, 
to a few others, they've gone, you think he was Arab? I said, I can hear he's Arab. And it's not just because of who he played with um, as a guitar player in whose bands, because um, he played in a couple of bands. And if you yeah, listen to their, if you listen to the music, I'm just trying to think of the one that he's most famous for. Um, um famous R&B singer, and Hendrix played in his band. Oh, I, yeah, I'm escaping here now. I know you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, oh, it's, it's maddening, but that happens with age. Um, <laughs> he, served, he served his musical time by playing with the greats before he yeah, even came yeah, out. It, he knew yeah. every, every, everything before he even did it, you know. Yeah, and I think so I think he would have stayed true to his roots. That's the first thing. I think he would have – I think he was so gifted – I think that he would have um, he would have been productive, not necessarily. And I think that the analogy or the comparison to, to Beck is is spot on. Um, and we've we've talked about those um, those albums. Um, I think. But some of my favourite Rod Stewart material, it, yeah, is Jeff Beck when he was with the Beck Band. So, Mick Jagger's solo, first solo album, I love that one. Jeff Beck plays guitar on that Mick Jagger's first solo album. Well, go back to the Yardbirds. He proved that he can play blues, rock and roll, traditionally mm-hmm. guts, ragged sounds, you know, ragged style. Because he, he, he he's a man for all seasons, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, he can when he's playing jazz. Um, and there's a mate of mine who's a and a real a music aficionado, and he's got like this just fucking seemingly seemingly limitless collection of the most amazing albums. Like you know that Paco guy, the, the bass player and yep. uh, saxophone players you've never heard. And what, listen to this, listen to this, and he puts it on. He only plays vinyl. Only plays vinyl, and he puts it on, and, we, and you sit back, and he's got the sound system that you know, <laughs> like, can create earthquakes, and it's and it's kind of like, and it's the purity of sound that that he strives for. He's he's always chasing his tail in this. Too. He's an amazing guy. Plays bass in one of Australia's best bands, Mondo Rock, a band called Mondo Rock, and um, and he's introduced me to some some sounds and some music but um you know yeah i mean um when when beck plays with these jazz musicians and he's he's playing that wonderful picking style mm-hmm. that he has um he just fits right in he's just he's fit his own style but he's never yeah, he's seen the commercial seen. world you know what i mean like which is fine because you don't have to but it's like, kind of like it's kind of the you know that weather weather report sort of you know jazz. It's like fusion sort of. It's like it's musically uh, it doesn't do much for me, but I can appreciate how beautiful it's put together and the playing is just like oh my god, father. You know, it doesn't turn me on. It doesn't sort of ring my bell because you know I'm sort of um, you know still blood and guts. You know that that's the thing. And yet that brings me to my next uh, next one on the on the list, Out of Dark Side of the Moon, which I think is 
it's just a typical of the one of the most extraordinary innovative lineups in music ever was the original uh, Pink Floyd, and that's with Barrett. But even after he left, they still defied their denied and defied their critics to to go on to produce music that's I think, and I mean, you know, I've heard people say I've even read it in print in books about the. Uh, the Sid Barrett book and also a book about the, the Floyd. Oh, they, they never did anything as, as good as when they did with it. Rubbish. They did monumental stuff after after he left. I mean, it was tragic. They all said it was tragic that he left. But to say that they didn't produce anything that was, you know, like worthwhile, it's just like, no. it's, Yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, I'm reading a book. Actually, one of the books in the middle of this is a Pink Floyd book. And, and just going to be from Saucerful and doing metal, those albums and who they were and how they started. And then all of a sudden come up with like dark side of the moon and going that way is a huge transition. That's you're like, Whoa, mm. you know, and dark side of the moon is like a perfect album. Literally, you know, well, that's a point. And, and one of the things that, that emerged um, and, and, and of course is recognized undeniably. I mean, I know that um, 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 Roger, the bass player, Roger, um, Roger Waters here. Mm-hmm. Um, he is huge influence on when you read the books, and even then, when you relate that to listening to the music, huge influence um, on on that the tempos and 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 the the, the mix, uh, the layering of the music, um, huge influence on it. And of course, lyrically, you know, when you read their a book about them or a couple of yeah. books that I've read about them. Lyrically, um, you know, so there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he was such a, as they all were. I mean, all were are integral parts of this wonderful musical experience. But what you know, like, and it no more manifests, and it manifests itself quite obviously in his legendary epic solos. Gilmore was just able to. like Hendrix did, and like Richie Blackmore does, and like um, other other guitar players who they chose an instrument, and they said, "Well, I am going to get the best out." It's like Angus with an SG. Why does he play an SG? There's, a, there's very fundamental reasons why he plays an SG because it's his sound. It is. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 why Malcolm played a, a Hofner or uh, a Gresh. Um, uh, more more in recent times, of course, but it, it was that it was they looked at different instruments and different configurations of amplification and effects, etc., to um, to uh, get their sound. And um, yeah, I think um, it, there's no one, there's no better exponent of of, of playing a Stratocaster than. Than Gilmore, he's um, just extraordinary. But the, anyway, getting on because we'll get through. You know. Yeah. Interestingly enough, after Dark Side of the Moon, I got Can't Buy a Thrill. Now I don't know about the thought pattern that led me to put these down, but I remember it was summer. I was in Melbourne. <clears throat> um, the guy that I was sharing a place with, uh, who, who gave me the nickname Angry. A guy called Mangy Mick Malusak, and he, he great had a great record collection. 
frustrated guitar player. Not a bad guitar player, just not a good one. But um, anyway, he brought home. He said, all right, come on, man, quick. Got some fresh buds. Roll up a couple of big fat ones. And he said, we're going to put on Can't Buy a Thrill. And I just thought, laying there, stoned off my gourd for a start, but um, just thought, that is just sensational. I just thought it was just and anything that those guys came up with. Was, you know what it is? They're so perfect. When I first heard them when I was younger, I'm like, all right. But as I've gotten older now, I have all their albums. I can, as an older man, I can kind of step back and listen to it because I, I like fast and aggressive. But sitting back and listening to it now as an adult, you know, they're flawless. And once again, all yeah. of them. Yeah. And beautifully played, beautifully produced, the arrangements. I mean, but see, the reputation that they enjoyed in the early days is like, well, who who are these people? And and it was it was hard. Well, not hard, but it was it was it was not mainstream. It was not like when you brought out a band in those days, you saturated all the media with photographs, you know, staged photographs. You know, like standing there with the guitars, or you know, yep. like you know, like there's the Beatles, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones. You know, the list goes on. Steely Dan, fantastic name. I know. <laughs> love love the way it's spelt. Um, who are these guys? I just, yeah, I, I, I was struck then and I was just, I suppose, because um, that's what we did in those days. You know, we got stoned and we listened at records and and what it did with a decent system, you know, and you've got a you know, head, head full of smoke, it allowed you to, to go in to, to the music and, 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 and hear what there was to hear um, to... Um, because um, chronolog- chronologically, it's a, it's it's not in order of, but um, yeah, like the first time I ever heard uh, a Braxis, but the the, the my uh, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but that was uh, an extraordinary experience too because mm-hmm. of of how they layered, and there was you know up until then there was never really an album or or an artist, a band that actually explored um, uh, percussion. I was going to say the thing that the percussion albums, that's probably the first time the most commercial that kind yeah. of percussion was ever yeah. out there. The, the, the main thing that we knew about um, Steely Dan was they were this new concept. They were a studio band. And like, well, so... The fact that they did, like, the fact now that I can watch live performances of them, um, I've got to say too, a lot of the, a lot of the live stuff that I've seen on the Google Tube is in Europe. They're huge in Europe, absolutely huge. And um, yeah, it was a. I mean, they were beautiful players live. They were terrific. It's like the band. I mean, the band were high profile. Um, oh yeah. You know, I think you know the association with Dylan. Um, I think they would have been a big band anyway. I think so too, because they were just too good. You know, just just too good. But um, so anyway, de- moving down the list, after "Can't Buy a Thrill," another left turn. Beep. <laughs> I got "Mad Dogs and Englishmen," mm. and 
And then straight underneath, underneath that is Van Morrison. But Mad Dodds and the Horseman was, um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, there's several live albums. I mean, the band itself was extraordinary. Right. I mean, it was a huge album here. Huge. I mean, to the point where, well, up until a few years ago, there was, an, there was an amazing cover band that did the album. And the band was, the band is, you know, a derivative of Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And they were, you know, concept, what, what we call here a concept band. So they're modelled mm-hmm. on another band. Right. So they not only try to find lookalike people, um, if, if they're lucky enough to do that, that way, if you've been really drinking or you're really high, you're like far back enough, you're like, you think you're watching the band. Yeah. <laughs> Squint your eyes. You're close. You're like, oh, it's like, you know, last call, the lights are on. You're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, the, I mean, obviously, uh, they are one of the, well, he's an artist that was pretty much discovered by Woodstock. But um, I think he would have he would have gone on to be to do big things anyway because he was just too talented. But I think um, after seeing the doco and reading the book, I mean, what an extraordinary experience! I mean, like just yeah. just one of the greatest rock and roll stories of all time. Uh, if not, I mean, it's just an extraordinary rock and roll story. Um. <clears throat> That produced one of Joe Cocker and Van Morrison at the same time. Little similar too. Ooh, that would have been scary. What? What are the? And I, I appreciated it at the time, not as much as I do now. But I, I remember seeing a doco on Leon Russell, and oh. he was sitting at this piano and he was talking Love about Leon stuff, and. What an extraordinary, I mean, it, it largely was his sort of vision, energy. Um, and he was very much, when you read the book, he was very much in control. Like, oh, yeah. if you, you know, if you can be in control of chaos. But he was smart enough to allow the eccentricity, which became. I mean, you see some of the performances, the live performances, and they're just extraordinary. They're just inspirational. Just, you know. Live talent. Oh, Jesus, what a stage full of fucking talent. I mean, the the, the rhythm section was just like, fuck, we did. The odds of that many people having that much talent being together. I mean, just, well, Leon on his own, even his whole stuff, uh, you know. Yeah, he's fantastic. I have uh, one of his albums, uh, I think it's Carnival, some tightrope. It's like the album is so good. Mm. You know, yeah. that's just one piece. He's just one slice of the band. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but the sum of all parts, I mean, it's extraordinary. And I, from what I've read, he was a large part, Leo was a large part of that whole thing. He made, sort of pretty much made that happen. Yeah. It's just and you know, if, if the romantic story was that he put the band together to bail Cocker out of debt, or some sort of romantic story, and I just thought, like, well, whatever, you know, it produced this extraordinary musical experience. 
And then, of course, in my list, um, I go into a brief um, hiatus, if you like, of um, uh, I've got Van Morrison and, you know, anything, you know, um, anything that Van Morrison did after them. I mean, them obviously was such an influential uh, record uh, that right. uh, Baby Please Don't Go. But um, and, and and for some reason I've got an arrow pointing towards, uh, among others, Odetta. Um, and for some reason, I've always thought there was, um, you know, she, she did one of my earliest albums that I ever bought <clears throat> um, was an Odetta album. Mm-hmm. And she sang on that album, it's, it's one of her classic early albums, but she sang a couple of really religiously um, motivated songs. And there's a, a wonderful song um and I think the title is Long Chain or He Had a Long Chain On and about this guy who wanders around um, dragging this chain. You know, he had I'm actually not familiar on. with that song. I'll have to check it out. Oh, it's fantastic lyric-wise. But, you know, there's things like if I had a hammer, honest, right. you know, um, most people – uh, identify that song with Peter, Paul, and Mary, but because they popularised it, but um, they had a huge hit worldwide. But um, Odetta was uh, the one, and for some reason, um, I've always thought um, I haven't read an awful lot about Van Morrison, which is strange because there's a couple of books out about him. But I've always thought that there was, I felt more uh, an influence of Odetta. In Morrison as a singer, I don't know why. I just maybe it's because she, you know, she was such an influence on me. Um, then I move into Hotel California, then Abraxas, um, and an arrow pointing towards Caravanserai. So that was that seventies. Can't buy a thrill, Mad Dogs, Van Morrison, Hotel California, Braxis, Intercaravans. So, I mean, Braxis was the first thing, I think. No, it might have been just Santana with the the black and white pen drawing. It was black and white because I think I had that one. The black magic woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the lion head. Braxis was the second album with Samba Parti, which is one of my favourite songs. Always moves me to tears. Uh, reminds me of my girlfriend of the time. Um, I so many emotional up. songs for you. Ah, ridiculous! <laughs> like on my box of tissues to sit down with you, listen to some albums. Got a big box of clinics between us. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, sometimes when I'm, if, 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 you know, like it's the, the atmosphere is right. Like it might be raining or might be just sort of nostalgic time, but I, I purposely go and put on stuff. That makes me sad, you know. So I, I'm having a beer and a bourbon, and and I just put on this endless stream of songs, and I sit there and, oh, and I fucked that up. You know, it was always some relationship, but you know. Oh I my just, god, it's record therapy. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when I when I go through my Santana period. I come to Caravanserai and I'll just lay back and just 
everything gets put back good. You know, it's like such a beautiful, beautiful album. And then I come out of Caravanserai sticking to the to the list and I go back then, uh, in retrospect, I go back to Cream and Blind Faith and I've got Machine Head. Um, yep, that's great. You know, hearing what a, what a metal stroke heavy rock band can do that I don't think has been done better, probably as well. Yep. But Machine Head was to me was like fuck me, you know. And I told you about touring with Richie. I mean, it was, I I watched every on those two couple of tours that we did with uh, Rainbow. We I made sure I watched every gig, um, drunk, sober, indifferent, whatever. But I was side of stage and watched him play some stuff that he did with that guitar. It's just I'm sure he levitated, Sean. I really, I am sure that there were some moments when I looked through my blurred vision. <laughs> He's not on the ground. Um, and then, you know, from Machine Head, I look back a little, you know, at the at the Cream albums, um, etc. And what fell in love during that time, an enduring, endearing love affair with um, Leslie West, which I still enjoy uh, to this day. I, if I want to feel good, if I have a feeling, and, you know, in the past few years I've had cause to, to have some pretty blue moments, but I've, if I want to feel good, I put Leslie West on, man. He just fucking brings me back. That's the best part. That's the oh, good Yeah. I mean, I I was listening to the other day. I was home on my own and I was cleaning my room and stuff. And I got a pretty um, meaty system in my room. And, uh, and, and it's a song. It's, you know, one of the things that we've talked about here. Um, <clears throat> which are some of the great live performances of all time. So Mad Dogs and English to me is one of the greatest live recordings I've, I've ever experienced. There's a lot going on in that album. Oh, it's just. A lot of artists on that album. Fucking. Um, Humble Pie live at the Fillmore. Um, but uh, I think one of the greatest is um, Nantucket Sleigh Ride. Mm-hmm. Leslie West. I think that, that that album, and it's got Long Red on one side. Um, I think it's got Crossroads. There's three tracks on one side, and then the other side, which is about the best part of 15 minutes. It's just yeah, I think 20, 25 minutes or something. It's crazy. And Nantucket Sleigh Ride. And that, to me, even sonically, recorded live, it's just most powerful, emotive, emotional piece of music. I mean, once once I had it, you know, and it was very early on in the piece that I came across an interview and Papalati said, I said, what, you know, Nantucket's later And he said, well, that's, you know, when they go out, out of Nantucket to hunt whales, once they've speared the whale and then they've got to tire it 
the boat gets dragged along behind the whale. And, and yeah, every time it sounds, you just play out more rope and hope that it doesn't run out of rope and pull the boat under. And that's how they lost a lot of crewmen on, on whaling boats, um, you know, the, the ones they rode out there. And that's what a Nantucket sleigh ride is. And, and then when I – and, of course, that, then, you, then you realise about, you know, how beautifully the lyrics are, mm-hmm. um, which I think Papalati's wife had a lot to do with. But they're very beautifully, very poetic lyrics, you know. Um, but you, the, 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 the song itself, the musical ride, the piece is that. It's you know? a journey, yeah. It, it goes yeah, back. You, 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 once you understand what the song is about, you, you run. You, Which I didn't. So listening to it now, let's go back and listen to it now with fresh perspective. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I've told you something. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I've learned a few things. But the thing is, I didn't know that. I, I know the song into the album and familiar with the lyrics, but I couldn't pull inside the head because, you know, but I wasn't aware of the actual meaning. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you another. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know that there was any. Well, I don't know that there wasn't an influence because. You do. I get. I've had inspiration from reading books, but in recent years, um, they made a wonderful movie with um, uh, Heath Ledger. I think played the part, and it's not called Moby Dick, but it's about the story of Mo- and how Moby Dick came to be written. But I remember the old story, the old film of um, Moby Dick, the White Whale. And, um, you know, there's the Indian, the harpoonist, uh, Pegwig, I think his name is. Um, He doesn't speak. And in Nantucket, you know, they talk to the black man uh, sleeping his watch away. Um, There's a couple of references which kind of even obscure may relate back to that wonderful tale of of um uh you know it's it's many things i think it's you know it's like man's struggle with the elements um his own identity um those kind of things but it's a wonderful wonderful story the 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 moment i will probably go back tomorrow and reanalyze it (laughs) take it apart (laughs) But there's one, there's, um, it's on Netflix uh, or was a while ago, the one I'm talking about. It's a modern adaptation of the same thing about a, a rogue whale. Anyway, we digress again. <clears throat> so, um, the only one I have left, I don't remember you saying, was Vanilla Fudge, self titled. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, see, this is where, chronologically speaking, I got a bit out of, because after Live at the Fillmore, <clears throat> I've got that that little, because it was, it was obviously an afterthought, and I was sitting here trying to think up a worthwhile list to not just impress you, but to interest you. And I thought, now, wait a minute, going back, Three of the albums which 
Um, and I found, oh, I found this the other day. I remember the last time we spoke about the Missing Elm Rock and Roll. Yeah. And I found it, and I've downloaded it onto my iPad. I found it in its original form. Really? But yeah, yeah, it was a been a reproduced. It's it's um, but yeah, it, it, rock and roll with the fudge. But anything the fudge did, and I mean, let's face it, in that era, you know, it is such a beautifully. Um, oh, some people might say it was a bit kitsch or a bit sort of, but you know, during that, the vanilla fudge, you know what I mean? Like, really, that's such a fantastic name for a a band that came out in that era. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, the young rascals, eh, you know, kind of that's a bit sort of uh, middle class sort of. There's nothing wrong with that, you know what I mean? But like the young rascals right. is kind of like, but vanilla fudge, you know, that's you don't remember when it was like clockwork orange and um it yeah, definitely is know. a timestamp of the time. Like, you know, I don't think, you know, the other band, the rascals would be further back because I'm like, there's already a show like that. There's already, you know, <laughs> the little rascals, you know. <laughs> yeah. So to me it's well, further like, back, but yeah, but like vanilla fudge really is a timestamp of those of the years of what people were doing going on back then, where it was like yeah, I, I think I, I think I think there were a lot of bands, and I'm not being critical of this, but they um, they were trying to <clears throat> they're trying to have names that were psychedelic because it was the psychedelic mm-hmm. the era, Strawberry era alarm clock of solo psychedelic psychedelica. Um, yeah, well, I mean um, Buffalo Springfield. I mean, okay, mm-hmm. there's a bit more depth in that. But that's like, oh, Buffalo Springfield. What the fuck does that mean? You know what? It doesn't have to mean anything, really. It's grabbed your attention. So it's sort of, you know, right. like a band like Blind Faith, there's nothing psychedelic. It's just, I have Blind Faith. I have, and that, I think that's why they call it. Which is a great, I love that album. I mean, it's fantastic. You know, Clapton is just, just going from band to solo to, Derek and Domino's to Blind Faith, the Cream to, you know, he was just bouncing around. Yeah, well, see, that's... that's he was almost in the Beatles, for one thing, if you just watched Henry. They were talking yeah. about Brian and with George, but they're like, well, we'll call Claps today, or something, whatever it was. It's in the second yeah, that, one. There's, there's a movie, and I don't know that they haven't, but that classic, and it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet sort of um, scenario, Here's two guys that love one another as people, love one another as players, and this tragedy, this amazingly Shakespearean tragedy befalls the three of them, right? So George is besottedly, totally in love with this woman, and his best friend secretly becomes obsessed with her yeah, and then realizes he has to make the decision because he knows he's going to lose George's friendship. They could have done something together musically, which would have been extraordinary if they'd have formed a band or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and this extraordinary songwriter with an extraordinary partner as a one of the best um, modern uh, exponents of playing, you know, blues guitar. Um. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, he falls in love with his wife and they can't deny their love. So they have to go to this beautiful man and break his heart for the sake of love. I mean, that's Shakespearean. And it's what a great movie that's got it. Someone's got to make that movie. It does, but you know what? You never, you never, you never do it to a bro. It's just still well strong enough. You just don't do that. Okay, I get it. I get it. This is hard. Like you just can't. They're uh, really, you can't. I get it. Stop. I get it. Yeah, I mean, but it, I agree with you. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I would be like, when I think of that story, the, the to be that forgiving and going on the power that is incredible. She's actually in it too in the movie for two seconds. Patty shows up in it, the new Beatles movie. Mm. Documentary is out, Get Back. Mm. Really? George is in it. It's really good. You really get some good perspective on, on the songwriting process. And George mm. actually getting upset, kind of pushing back a little bit, saying, you want me to be on it? You want me to play on it? I will, I won't. You know, talk about playing his solo album because he had his songs that he'd written to Eddie Shannon going off into his, you know, his past album. It was a really interesting time for all those guys. And it's, it's in the documentary. Yeah. It's really kind of neat to get a little different perspective on the relationships, you know. Yeah, those guys. Yeah. What do you think? Just this is left the center. What do you think <laughs> about the about the Paul McCartney spirit conspiracy? Have you got a take on that? Which one? Well, is it? You know, did he die in a car? Did they replace him no. with a lookalike? No, no, no. Okay, no. cool. Wait. <laughs> just, just ask him. And see how he takes control because the manager had uh, uh, had just died. Now he kind of someone had to lead the group. You know, you do need a strong leader. You know that you need a leader mm-hmm. and um, push pull. Like, but you need to have either a strong leader or a push pull in a band. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. successful band that's a formula. Yeah. So he got yeah, yeah. exactly, but. The fact that he still produces music, he just had an album out, and just now, you know what I'm saying? He's still that songwriter. If he stopped mm. writing songs, he could be like, well, I don't know, stop writing songs. Still doing it at that level. Yeah. No one yeah. can touch that, you know. Well, look how, look how long Wings produced and toured. So, I mean, monumental sales. Yeah. Um, probably even to rival. In some cases, I mean, the Beatles in numbers, not that it's, but, you know, I don't think McCartney has ever been about numbers and maybe that's romantically what I want to believe and, and see um, in the same way as, you know, I think, you know, really? <laughs> Replaced him with a lookalike? Mm. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you say, well, you find a lookalike who's just as musically talented? I mean, because one of the things that I've loved about Paul was that, and and and, and John too, because I, I've got everything that, that that John, the Beatles, Paul, George, and Ringo produced. Uh, no, I don't have all of Ringo's albums. Um, I'll remedy that at some stage, it's just just so that I've got the complete collection. It's not because I think that he's the most forgettable. I just, uh, in all honesty, I don't think he's produced anything musically that's been as clever or as innovative as you know all things must pass well, um, I mean, or, or or anything the band he was in. i mean hmm? look at the band he was in i mean god yeah yeah <laughs> the I mean, band, you know. yeah but you know like 
you know, I've I've listened to um, I was going to say the High Woman, but that's another favourite album of mine. But um, uh, you know, him and um, Petty and George and Petty and yep. um, Dylan for a while. Um, Jeff Lynne. Um, Travelling uh, Wilburys. Travelling Wilburys, yeah. I mean, beautiful fucking music. Just mm-hmm. and beautifully made albums. Beautifully sonic, really. Uh, just beautiful. What a great collection of voices together that really Ah, oh, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, just, uh, it's like, it's like there's a, there's a whole lot of footage now that's come out on FaceFast or Google Tube, one or the other. Um, about uh, the history of um, talking about a collection of great voices. Yeah. There's a lot of interviews about the Crosby, Stills and Nash Young. Um, again, you know, four, when the four of them were together, it was just like, oh, sublime. When the three of them were together, <coughs> pardon me, um, it was just beautiful as well. But again, one of those combinations where, even now today, depending on who they talk to, what happened? You know, well, you know, it's just like really, you know, you know, did Yoko Ono really break up the Beatles, whatever? But with Crosby, Stills and Nash, they go, oh, well, I used to think this and now I don't, you know, and I don't know. I, I got the idea. Well, it's kind of fessed up a lot to being a kind of a jerk to people, you know. He's kind of fessed up. I think David has, but I've seen them play in the eighties, and then I saw him play, well, probably ten years or whatever. And they actually opened up for Tom Petty, and um, both the shows were flawless. Years apart, no matter what's going on, David just got out of jail. He was bloated. This was back in the eighties. He sounded great. He didn't look very good. I thought he was going to die in front of me when I met him, literally. But nothing stopped that sound of that voice. You know, Um, you'll see what. In the in the Get Back documentary, you see Yoko Ono in there, and you actually see Paul and the other guys are a little more all right with Yoko than you'd think. Mm. Why she's in there? Like the jokes are, why is she sitting there reading a newspaper when the, all bands there and she's there? You know, and you're mm. like, <laughs> not necessary. You know? Well, that's that's say shoot me down for being old fashioned, but I don't. <clears throat> okay, I know it was a personal thing. I know I, I have lived under the impression until I, you know, I had my mind changed that she was tolerated because it, it, it was almost like, well, if we don't accept her, we don't, John's not going to be here. Right. And, 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 and he, he, obviously he was such a, you know, he was a fourth of the, of the puzzle. So. Um, but more so the way they were getting along in the video, she's actually, she's actually singing in, in, in um, Paul, is playing drums while she's screaming, singing. Like there's moments where you see John Lennon and Paul McCartney just getting crazy and being giggly. It made my made my heart happy because you know how things were so weird at the end, you know, so dark. So many good moments of those guys just being children, you know. There's also moments where say, you know, that's when they were starting. Paul, I mean, um, John and, and Yoko were starting to do their dabbling in heroin. So there's some weird. Picked up on the real happy moments. I was so happy as a band that you know they get along. Mm-hmm. You'll see when you watch it. You're Beatles fan. You'll yeah. like it. Yeah, there's three episodes. There's there's three. Two of them are out on Disney. Yeah. Check it out. Oh, I will. 
I will. It's, it's a big part of my life. I mean, <clears throat> you know, going back to those first impressions, going back to those first impressions the first time that you hear a sound, <clears throat> you know, it's like the opening chord of Hard Day's Night. I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. fuck, it's like just that bam, and it's a whack, we're into it. It was like, fucking yeah. He doesn't want the bands that all of all their phases. They literally have sections. Oh, phases absolutely. And I like all their phases. You know, it, 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 I talked about before about if I want to feel good, I put on. Um, I mean, yeah, when I say that, I'll clarify that. I, I put on Mountain to feel good. I mean, I love, I love Le- Leslie West. I've, I've got most of, or whatever's available, I've got it downloaded onto my iPad. I've got probably half a dozen albums, like LPs, and um, and I've got twice as many CDs, <laughs> you know, all doubling up, but just different yeah. formats. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's no – if, 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 if I want that euphoric, you know, brings me to tears, what was I like at 16 sort of vibe, you know, I put the Beatles on and, you know, um, please, please me and, you know, all that, you know, <clears throat> and one of my favorite, two of my favorite albums, but, and I'm hard pressed to decide between Rubber Soul and Revolver, but I, <clears throat> the first time that we actually heard, because in comparison, like we talked about with the Stones before, about how they matured yeah, yeah. into their own songwriting within the space of a couple of albums, um, um and created some classics, you know, like uh, when when the Beatles started to, you know, w- w- we realised, oh, this is this is what they call original material. They weren't covering Dizzy Miss Lizzie or, you know, the some of the classic covers that they, they did on those the early albums. Years, yeah, those and they, and they were, you know, they were great songs. But once again, taught them to be good songwriters. I mean, that's what they took from it. Yeah, they just took it, you know. I mean, there's always been, you can still, I was listening to, you know, Lennon's stuff the, the other day in my room. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that, that heavy 50s influence was um, uh, always there, you know, the arrangements and the way that um, uh, the vocal arrangement, but, uh, you know, some, very, very heavy. I mean, they never really, neither should they. I mean, their, their roots are their roots. So I think that that will always come through in the music, you know. It's kind of like someone said to me the other day, <clears throat> as I digress again, um, <clears throat> what, what, what will the next Tats album sound like? And I said, well, regardless of the musical lineup, it will still sound like the Tats because – you know, that's the way I write and um, that's the sort of the, the lyrics that I come up with and the melodies and <clears throat> I'll, I'll guide as my fifth, you know, of, of the say, um, I'll guide how the music sounds um, to, to the best of my ability. Um, so it will always sound like the tats, but <clears throat> I think, I did say to this person, I said, look, um, I think we'll go back. I think we'll, we'll 
um, it, it'll be accountable to its to its roots. I mean, I think because uh, it, it's arguably, and I think it, it will be our last album, and um, so it'll go back to those early, uh, very heavily blues interest influenced days. Um, it won't be sort of uh, modern, you know, like come out of left centre. I think it'll be fairly predictable. What we're known for, and it's not trading off just what you're known for. It's more about, well, this is where we started. This is where it'll end, you know. Sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know. The hidden track but, will be uh, the sequel suddenly. No. Nah. This, my band, though, is capable of that. You're capable of it. Yeah, but well, say, just saying that we um, there's a couple of songs that have already emerged, if you like, um, that um, they're sounding very, very like uh, original stuff. You know, um, I'm excited. Very, very early, um, yeah, because he's a good writer. But um, look up Palace of the King, and um, yep. their stuff, their stuff's available. But Tim's a very strong songwriter, as apparently there's several, which to, to, to a lyricist, to a singer, um, it's a wonderful luxury to have. But apparently, there's a, apart from Tim, there's two other strong songwriters, contributors in, in, the, in the band. Wow. And it's gone from um, like a four-piece band, <clears throat> whereas – you get a guitar player or two guitar players, bass and drums, or you get one of the guitar players who plays keyboards. Great. And that was the that was the that's the the band that I inherited. But now the original guitar player who left the band to to start and raise a family has come back. So now there's the opportunity to have three strings, three like three string players, apart from bass and drums. And also the guitar player who plays keyboards would rather play keyboards. He's just a very clever uh, guitar player, mainly a rhythm player. So, pardon me, you know, I said, well, you know, um, it'll be good to have three guitars on stage at one stage, pardon me. It'll be good to, you know, have a a full-time when you say full-time, someone who's willing to sit behind the keys most of the night because <clears throat> getting back to that, um, we're not pressed for time, are we? Not usually. Uh, no. Um, Cat's yeah, when I said an hour. I didn't, I didn't, I, I felt, I felt the rules cat gives me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, too. Um, I think. Um, but, you know, getting back to, we mentioned a while ago about Vanilla Fudge, what a great name, and the Young Rascals. So there was a few bands around at that time, English and American. Yeah. That had the strong keyboard influence. And um, uh, that, that that's influence, and I've gone back full circle with that with my band because it's, it, there's going to be, you know, Apart from the odd tune where we're going to need three players, like someone playing mandolin or you know six and twelve string guitars, and um, he, he'll predominantly be the keyboard player. And it goes back to, and I think that was one of the, part of what excited me 
uh, about those, uh, those, particularly those uh, two American bands. There was a couple of others too. There was some. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think of the name. It, Captain Somebody and the Somebodies. Um, Back then? Yeah. Like yeah. Captain Beefheart type of thing? Oh, no. Oh, Beefheart. Oh, God. Um, Captain, I think. Um, yeah, they were more, they were more a sort of uh, like, um, do you remember that band? Um, was it, his surname was Pickett, I think. Um and Union Gap, is that where it ring a bell? Yeah, Union Gap was a band, yeah. Gary yeah. Pickett? Gary Pickett, right? Gary Pickett, yeah, that's him. You should know um, that. That's your name. Got your name all over yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, before that, there was another there was another band, and um they were sort of around, I think about the same time, maybe a bit after the fudge and the rascals. Um but it was, yeah, I thought it was Captain Something and the Somethings. Like, but they were they were more your, not your mainstream sort of pop band, more of a fringe. They had a keyboard player in them. So I just, I remember just liking the material. Okay. If I want to do another 10, I could easily pick out another 10. Much love, brother. Talk to you then. Okay. Talk to you next.